Rosemary Shapiro Liu is the only author not featured in Volume 3 of the Better Business book. Instead, she was a trailblazer for many of the other Australian authors after appearing in Volume 2 of the Better Business book. Rosemary is an expert facilitator and conference process guru with a passion for effective process. She is the author of The Mentor Within, a book for better decisions and powerful action, and the director of Triple Win Enterprises. Triple Win Thinking creates wins for you, those around you, and the world. Rosemary has coached and mentored hundreds of thought leaders, entrepreneurs, solopreneurs, and socialpreneurs, often at a point of transition in their lives or the lives of their organizations. She is known for helping people stick to the promises they make to themselves. Rosemary draws on 30 years of experience, which started in the ganglands and prisons of Cape Town, then as a national manager of restorative justice in South Africa, and later as a mentor at the School of Social Entrepreneurs in Australia. She helps you to tame your monster within and access your mentor within. Rosemary is a qualified social worker and primary ethics teacher and is the founder of a global walking tribe. She tends to slip dance and walking into her work. Sit back and enjoy this exploration of Rosemary's chapter titled Make Friends with Your Mentor Within. Rosemary, welcome. My name is Rosemary Shapiro Liu. I'm a coach and facilitator and a writer. And my particular interest is helping people to do the best they can in the world to create triple wins. What do you mean by triple win? A triple win is a win for you, those around you, and the world. So it's making sure that whatever you do has a decision and an action that that creates the best for yourself and the best for your people. It can be your customers or it can be the people you work with and the world at large. So how did you get involved with the Better Business book and why did you get involved? I saw somebody else had got involved in the Better Business book and he was saying, if you'd like to be involved in a collaborative book, please contact me. And my theme for the year last year, 2017, was collaboration. So I thought, oh, collaborative book, I want to be part of that. I saw that there were going to be a hundred authors involved and they were going to be from all over. And I had wanted to expand my connection with people who do similar work, but not those people who I have constant contact with. And so I applied to find out what I could do to be involved. So that was volume two? The book was volume two. So I had seen that a colleague of mine had got involved with volume one. I wanted to get involved with a collaborative book, which was the volume two of the Better Business book. What basically happened was the experience was so good that I started to recommend it to the people around me. And because of the, the particular model that they've used, they get people to introduce new writers to the collaborative process at Authors Unite. And I only recommend things that I have experienced and love doing. And last year, I was looking at different ways of bringing people on board of the opportunities that I had, seeing that I was in a collaborative mood. And so my experience from the very beginning of working with a Better Business book is that firstly, the expectations were incredibly clear. I knew what was expected of me. 
Secondly, every deadline was kept to. And thirdly, it was very simple. I didn't have to do a lot of extra because everything was given to me on a platter about how to get this, this book published. And as I had published a book the previous year and was not going to publish a book last year, I thought it'd be wonderful to actually just publish a chapter in a book as my continuity year before I think about writing my own second book. So the chapter that you wrote for volume two, tell us a little bit about what that's called and what drew you to write that particular chapter the book that I had written the year before is called the mentor within and it's all about accessing your inner wisdom and dealing with your monster within the chapter that I wrote in the better business book was called make friends with your mentor within and this was as a result of having had a year of my book being out in the world, people talking about your mentor within, talking about the monster within. And the thing that people were finding the most difficult to do is to find a way of actually accessing their mentor within. And I wanted to put a chapter out that was a reminder about how best to access your inner wisdom in the most practical of terms so that anybody could pick it up and take a few steps and do it. And that's why I wrote the chapter called Make friends with your mentor within, which has seven pointers as to how to get to your mentor within and listen to to it. So let's take a step back for those who are listening or haven't yet been exposed to volume two or to the chapter that we're talking about today. Tell us what what is the mentor within and what is the monster within and why do we need to recognize both? I've been coaching and facilitating for many, many years in a variety of fields, from social justice through to social entrepreneurship, through to executive leadership. And what I've found is that across the board, it doesn't matter who I'm working with in a coaching or a facilitating environment, people have little voices in their heads that stop them doing what they know is right and what is right for them and the people around them in the world. That little voice I've named the monster within. And in my book, there's a cartoon of this monster that tangles up a a knot inside your head. It's to do with the naysayers of the people around you. It's to do with the imposter syndrome of believing that you can't do things or who am I to do stuff. It's to do with the messages that you've received from others or from yourself over the years that stop you accessing your intrinsic inner wisdom. And that monster, if not dealt with, stops you allowing yourself to listen to your inner wisdom. If you can listen to your inner wisdom and connect with it and turn down the volume of your monster within, you can access what I like to call the mentor within. And the mentor within is one step up from your inner wisdom. Your inner wisdom is, ah, that's interesting. That's a piece of information or wisdom that I can deal with. The mentor within actually guides you on how to take your decisions and to make the correct decisions to take action. So that mentor within, accessing it, needs time, it needs listening, it needs connection, and it needs an intent to actually hear your inner wisdom in a way that you're going to take it seriously like you would any good mentor. As you mentioned, you you drill down on kind of seven steps in the chapter, but I'd like to drill down a little more on on the monster versus the mentor within. When one is first exposed to the concept that you put forward, 
it's easy to identify that little voice. How does one tell the difference between the monster and the mentor when you're starting out, though? That's an excellent question. Very often the monster is the voice that is going to stop you doing what makes you feel good and what makes your life fulfilling. If you're doing things or if you're taking action that is not good for you in the long term or not good for the people around you, it's likely that you're listening to your monster within. So my understanding is, and having worked with very, very tough people in the past, including inside of prisons, juvenile offenders, people who have done heinous things really in their lives, very often they actually know what is right unless they're completely psychopathic or sociopathic. They know what is right, they know what is good for themselves, they know what's good for other people, but they have the sense that they are going to listen to another voice because it gets them what they want quickly or because it gets them what they want easily. They know that there'll be consequences, but they choose to ignore those. And that's the, the, far, the far version of that. That's the difficult version of that where people really do things that are damaging to themselves or others. But we all do small things that are damaging to ourselves or others. It could be to do with the way we look after our health. It could be to do with the kind of relationships we choose to be in or stay in. It could be to do with not speaking up because we're frightened of what might happen to us. So the things that are going to make our lives very difficult very often are driven by that little monster voice, that voice that gets in the way. And so I would identify it as the monster voice being the one that gets in the way of triple wins, wins for yourself, those around you in the world. And the mentor voice being the one that enhances wins for yourself, those around you in the world. You mentioned in the chapter that potentially, not, not all the time, that potentially that, that monster within has become uh, honed or taken up residency during our childhood where potentially we're, no, don't touch that, it's hot, be careful of this, watch out for that. Is it is the monster within also uh, formed around a self-defense mechanism or a, a sense of needing protection that we we don't challenge as we grow older? Yes, absolutely it is. And one of the, the stories that I tell in my book, The Mentor Within, is of a woman who has what many people would call in lay terms multiple personalities or dissociative personality disorder. She has many people that live inside of her and she says that we all have many parts that live inside of us and those parts are often in conflict with one another and many of them have happened from childhood. That dissociative thing that happens where you have different parts or different people living inside of yourself, some of them may be protective and they might have been learned as a way of protecting yourself when you were smaller. She speaks of what she calls Satan's wife, which is one of the personalities that she has inside of herself. And she says if she were to ignore Satan's wife, she would often ignore things that are important for her protection. So she believes it's important that we listen to the monster within, we hear it, we try to work out what it's telling us and what it's protecting us from before we actually still that monster within or turn down the volume and carry on with our lives. And I think that's a very valid point that all of us will find information from that monster within that can be useful to us 
and then we need to be able to understand how to ignore it if we need to or turn down the volume. So it's, it's almost like in recognising and acknowledging the, the monster in the room, it removes the power? It can remove the power. It won't always do that. So sometimes people will need help. They'll need psychotherapy or they'll need support or they'll need an accountability buddy or they'll need a group of people to help them. They might need a mentor or a coach. And I wouldn't like to think that people believe that they have to do it all for themselves by accessing their mentor within. Sometimes people will only be able to access their inner wisdom and their, their mentor within once they've had the help that they need to deal with very difficult or very, very stressful environments in their past or things that are current. So, that, so there is no way that the mentor within replaces the wisdom of the people around you or the support that we might need. And that's an imperative point because there are people who are depressed, there are people who are sad, there are people who are damaged, and those people might well need another kind of support, even for a short period of time. If we look at your chapter, though, and your concept through the, the visor of the, the Better Business book, where uh, anticipating that the majority of people listening to this interview or indeed reading the book are going to be associated in one way or another with perhaps their own business or bettering themselves within a business arena, one of the things that you mention in the chapter is around action learning. Can you describe a little about what you mean by that in terms of accessing and becoming aware of the monster and the mentor within? Action learning is a technique that is based on straightforward questioning. And the straightforward questioning leads to one's own aha moment. When action learning is done well, it's done in a group of people where the person in the hot seat or the person with the dilemma poses a question or a challenge that they're dealing with. All the other people then ask that person questions. And those can't be sub-questions, which are like suggestions. They have to be straightforward questions. And they have to be short and to the point. The aim is that the person in the hot seat or the person with the dilemma answers each of those questions from their own perspective until the group slowly leads that person to an aha moment. By keeping answering questions and not taking on suggestions, we're accessing our inner wisdom in a deeper and deeper way. And it can seem random because there'll be a group of people asking different questions. They might ask, what's the best that can happen? What's the worst that can happen? How can you prevent the worst outcome? Tell us the story from three years back. When did this last work for you? What are you frightened of? And those kinds of questions will help people to hone a really great solution to their particular dilemma. In fact, in the book, I speak about the possibility of asking yourself those questions. In my book, The Mentor Within, I give 50 questions that you could actually ask yourself in a meeting with yourself so that you can kind of be almost like that group, asking yourself a variety of questions. If you're in a group setting, you have the privilege of people keeping honing the questions so that you can get past any blocks that you currently have. Action learning is really about learning actively on the spot and with direct questions leading you to your answer. You talk there about the privilege of working inside a group. In terms of accessing this information, 
within the confines or within the boundaries of a group. Potentially you're pulling together a group of people that have not had experience with this concept either. So what are some of the the steps, guidelines or parameters that people should be mindful of if they're the ones not in the hot seat but helping, as you said, guide the person to, to identifying, finding and following their own wisdom? Firstly, I'd Google action learning so that you get some of the rulings and the understandings of how best works in its purest form. And then I would move to three or four key guidelines. The first one is no suggestions, only questions. The second is it's not about you, it's about the person in the hot seat. So you're not trying to prove that you know something when you ask a question and you're not trying to impose anything. You're trying to ask a question for the person in the hot seat to think. The third is no reflective questions. So instead of something like, I hear you say that this is very difficult for you and that it happened last year twice. Now I'm wondering what will happen when you try and prevent it next year. The question would be, how will you prevent it next year? So you try to keep the energy for the person in the hot seat. And the fourth point which comes from that is, almost all the time should be used by the person answering questions, not by the questioners. So that you are getting short, sharp questions that keep growing the answer of the person in the hot seat. However, there is one caveat. If the person in the hot seat is talking and talking and talking and not allowing any questions to come in, you'd need to call that person on it and say, we're here to help you with questions. You need to pause to allow us to ask those questions. And I have seen that happen, where people just talk and talk and talk and you hear their defensiveness rising. You don't want that. You want them to be listening and taking on board the questions that are coming their way. Is that a time for the group to potentially call the monster out? The group's responsibility is not to do any of the therapy or any of the the growth and the development by saying what they are seeing or by noticing. They need to do it all with questions. So they might be clever enough to say something like, I'm going to ask you a question. Can you pause for a moment and just be in silence for 30 seconds? And the person will go yes or no. And that might give people, the person in the hot seat, the chance to regroup. They could also be saying, what, what is it that's making you give the same answer over and over again? Or can you give us a different answer that doesn't come from a place of defensiveness, for instance? So they just keep asking for more. They don't say, I'm noticing this, this is what's going on, I see you doing that. They have to frame it as a question which is very unthreatening and incredibly supportive. But it takes practice and it's always best with a facilitator who understands action learning but it can be done by people who train themselves on the spot. You mention that eventually or in conjunction with uh, accountability groups or, or facilitated groups that the individual has the opportunity to explore that within themselves. What are the differences between what you've outlined in the group 
session versus somebody who is listening to this or reading the chapter and thinking, I'd just like to explore this within myself. What are the questions similar? How does one begin that journey as an individual? I would strongly suggest that you give yourself a little bit of randomness to make it work. So download 50 great questions from the internet or find them in my book or find them somewhere where you've got arbitrary questions that will just help you to to explore. Then print them out and cut them up into single questions. Put them into a hat and draw out a question and ask yourself whatever's on it. And it's extraordinary how you can take yourself through a process. I would also suggest that in terms of answering those questions, you either record or write down your answer. Because if you just think it, it's not as solid as if you write it or if you record it. So you might pull a question out of the hat that is something like, what is the legacy you want to leave? And you go, oh, that's a really interesting question. What has that got to do with the fact that I don't know how to earn more money next week? But if you try and answer it, you might lead yourself to the very thing that's blocking you about earning more money next week. And so that randomness, you can almost treat the hat filled with questions the same as you would if a group was asking you random questions. And you can give yourself a certain amount of time. So you could limit it to 20 minutes, for instance. And you can take yourself through an amazing process of self-coaching. You will need a little bit of EQ. If you don't have a massive emotional intelligence, you might just manage to con yourself out of any great answers. But if you've got a little bit of EQ and you've got a bit of experience and you take it with a slight pinch of salt because nothing is going to be absolute, but you are going to get some very interesting responses, then I really recommend it as part of your management meeting with yourself each week. I want to explore the, the concept of the management meeting each week. For people listening, for people reading business books, we're all familiar with the concept of a management meeting, but you talk about a management meeting with self. What's the difference and why should people look to include the management meeting with self in their regular diary? There are two responses to this. The first is, I know it works, and I'm going to explain why. And the second is, there's a methodology to make it work. So the reason that I know it works is that every person that I've coached over the last 20 or so years that has taken on the responsibility of having what I like to think of as a Monday management meeting with self, if possible, but a meeting every week with themselves, has managed to make the kind of progress that they set out to make in the coaching environment. Every person who has not taken on the challenge of a meeting with themselves every Monday has gone forwards and backwards in their progress. The reason is that regular meeting with yourself where you are guiding yourself forward, sometimes with support from a coach or a mentor, sometimes with support from a group, is that each week when you assess how far you've come and where you want to get to, and you allow yourself a little bit of time to think about your own wisdom and your own knowledge, that meeting will progress you through to the next week. If you leave it for a week or two weeks or three weeks or four weeks, you'll find that you're not making progress in the same way. There's something there about intention. There's something about setting your intention each week and about assessing without judgment 
how it's gone. Only comparing yourself to yourself, not to anyone else, and not judging yourself for what has or hasn't worked, but noticing. So knowing that it works is what's important because I've seen it again and again and I've read from other people's experience how this works. But secondly, that if you have a methodology inside of that management meeting with self, you're able to guide yourself in a way that a good benevolent manager would guide you if you had such a person. And some of us have had the privilege of a wonderful, benevolent, clever, firm manager. And we can imitate what was great about that, but with ourselves. So this is purely taking the best that we've seen in those benevolent mentors, managers throughout our careers and flipping it on its head. Absolutely. Yeah. As we draw towards the close of our time together, I'm interested to know what's the best piece of advice that you can offer people listening to this that have read your chapter, that have read or are now going to pick up and read The Mentor Within. What's, what's the single piece of advice that you'd like to leave people with? Go to your calendar, find a time of 30 minutes, preferably on a Monday, and diarise your meeting with yourself. What you put into that meeting is not as important as the regularity of that meeting. Diarise it, switch off digital media during that time, and give yourself the, the honour, the time, the connection to be with yourself and to think through what's important in your life and how you're progressing to get there. I'm currently working with um, Jill McLaren on a process called Life Design um, from her book, Think, Plan, Live. And what she does is she helps people to think about the best life they could live, which is really accessing your mental within and knowing what's good for you. But if you're going to access something like Life Design, you're going to need to put some time and energy into making sure that you're reaching the goals that you have set for yourself, that you that you have clarity, that you have the confidence to do what it is that you need to do, and the commitment. And the commitment involves that connection with yourself at least once a week, with just that as your agenda. Where to from here? What am I going to do in my life? What am I going to do in my business? So diarize it, honor it, and don't let anything get on top of that half hour or so that you set for every week. Now, one thing I want to drill down on there in there is you talk about the commitment to self. For anybody listening who has set New Year's resolutions over and over again, and by February they're wondering what it was that they set the resolution around again, how long when you're starting out and you're building that muscle, because like anything I imagine it is building a muscle, how long do you need to commit to in terms of weeks or months before you begin to notice the subtle changes coming to the surface? Like any other habit, six weeks is usually the standard. I've seen people after two weeks um, notice that their stress levels have gone down, notice that they feel more in control, notice that they're connecting with the very things that they haven't been able to do over months and years. And so it, you can see the benefits quite quickly just with making that time for yourself. But I do know that for people who haven't done it before, sometimes they have a slight confidence wobble. And the confidence wobble would be, 
well, you know, how do I know that I'm making an impact on myself? Well, don't even, you don't ask yourself that question. You just do it. And after six weeks, you will be able to assess that you've made an impact. One of the ways, if you're not convinced, is to write down your current situation, everything that is negative about your current situation and everything that is positive about your current situation when you start. Six weeks later, ask yourself the same questions. What is positive about my current situation? What is negative about my current situation? And you will see that you've made changes. So if you need convincing, that's how to do it. I wouldn't really necessarily bother, but if that's what you need to make sure that it works, then do it. And then just set it as something that happens kind of forever. The final thing I have for you before we say our goodbyes is, I'm sure there's people listening or that have read the chapter that are now going, well, what now, Rosemary? How, how do we get in contact with you? So two options. The first is to download or purchase my book online, The Mentor Within, because that is much of this material but fleshed out. And the second would be to contact me through rosemary at triplewin.com.au or my website, www.triplewin.com.au. Well, that draws our time to a close today. I'd like to thank you so much for joining us once again. It's always a pleasure to chat to you. Rosemary Shapiro-Lou, thank you very much. Thank you, Tracy.